It is great to be with you this morning, and let me be the first one to say that I confess I had all sorts of trouble this morning, all because they moved, which then confused some of you, which then got in way of my Sunday morning routine of where I go to make my way up to the front. So, but we all figured it out. It is great to be here to worship together. This is our last week uh, on the series of an introduction uh, of the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we kind of come to a great concluding point of Moses, uh, Moses speaking to the people, giving them great reminders. And, and we pick up where we left off last week with last week's theme undeniably being what? Does anyone remember? Pastor Dan spoke. There's a key thing that he talked about. Maybe I can jog your memory a little bit. God is a holy God. And then we looked at what does that mean? Well, he's completely separate from all sin or evil. That's my God. In my God, there is no darkness. That is great news. Because if if we don't believe that, if we believe that, well, God is just sort of like us, well, we know we're sinners, and how much of a God would he really be? But he is without sin or any evil. And he is the essence of all goodness and purity. In him there can be no darkness. There can be no sin. God is holy. And is worthy of our reverence. Is worthy of our worship. That's why we gather together above all else. Is because he deserves it. He indeed is a holy God. He deals with sin. He deals with rebellion. Sometimes quite harshly as you saw in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Uh, He will allow judgment to be swift and fast according to his will and his plans. So now we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we've kind of looked and we've said, okay, we've spent how many weeks in the first eight chapters of Deuteronomy? Almost, I think, 11. I think this is our 11th or 12th week. And we've learned all these things. But what do we do? If Moses is speaking, how do I bring it all back together? And that's kind of what we're going to attempt to do this morning. But I want us to get in, in, in rhythm of what it looks like if, if we're the people and, and we're listening to a message and reminding you of some ways we learn and we hear. So I want you to do something for me. If I ask a question, I would like you to raise your hands and give me an answer, okay? So what is two plus two? Ah, see, we were lousy students. I saw two hands raised, and I heard at least four people give me the answer four. Right? Let's try again. If I do this, what should you do? And if I do this? Okay, we're getting better. You see, most of us have been trained to listen and to react to certain teaching cues, such as stand up, sit down, zip it, be quiet, however you want to translate. Or raise your hand if you want to speak. Or there's millions of others we can turn from. These are kind of the unwritten laws of education. When you sit in the classroom, you will sit at your desk unless you are called upon. Right? You will do this, this, and this, and we will respond in this way. We kind of bring that with us into church, and we we all sit in nice rows. What happened if I just moved all the chairs around? We mixed up the worship team this Sunday, and some of you were very confused. It was fun to watch. What if we took it a step further and didn't put chairs in rows at all, just had them random? We would be slightly out of our element. 
What Moses was doing here by reminding the people over and over and over again, this does get repetitive, doesn't it? Is he's giving them the law and the practice to get it ingrained in their heads and in their hearts for generations to come. So that when they raise their hand, they know the answer. When they lie down and when they get up, the word of the Lord is with them. Remember the Shema, Deuteronomy 6? The word, the law was to be with them all the time. And Moses was using the tools given to communicate in a way that said, take this, not just this generation, but your children and your children's children and so on and so forth. And so you get to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and it's great because I, I didn't actually do it. I should have. I should have gone back and I should have counted all the verbs in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I didn't do that. But there are a lot of them. Deuteronomy 8 is filled with action. It is filled with hope. And it is filled with reality and promise. Not one or the other, but both and. And so that's where we're going to turn our attention this morning. To the action that we find in following God where he leads us. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can come together this morning and that we can worship. And I pray that my words would be few and that yours would speak loudly. Lord, teach us, we pray. Amen. I spent 10 years of my life in a place called Geneva, Ohio, population 6,000 people, in the most poor county in all of the state I grew up in. Uh, the poverty level has actually gotten worse since I left. And it's, it's, it's a largely hopeless area of many in, this, in, in America where once it had a proud industry, actually they made golf shafts, uh, shafts for golf clubs. But that industry left and moved to China. And when that happened, all the industry left, all the jobs left, and the poverty of Ashtabula County increased. Well, it was in this situation that a man named Frank Hall grew up in. He went to Harbor High School, which was exactly eight miles away from the high school I went to, in the middle of Ashtabula, the county seat of where we, or the, the, the biggest city, that meant it had like 12,000 people, the biggest area we lived. But Frank grew up learning right from wrong. He also grew up with a series of disabilities, such as uh, dyslexia. He had attention deficit disorder issues, from what I understand. He had challenges with learning. He couldn't read well, and it was hard for him to excel or even keep up in school. One other thing about Frank, he was a big boy. Uh, I believe he, was, he is still about six foot one and over 300 pounds. I don't know what that is in kilograms. You can look on your phones and, and figure it out later if you know that. But Frank never left Ashtabula County. He was the first one in his family eventually to graduate from college. And then he went on to get a job working in schools. And he couldn't get a job at Harbor High School because it had since been shut down. I didn't know that until I actually read this article about the man, that a school that used to be a rival has shut down. But he went to another school that was our rival just 12 miles the other direction called Chardon High School. 
And somebody asked him, why are you so different, Frank? Why don't you, why don't you get involved in class life? Because what his job was, he was an assistant football coach, and he managed study halls. Now, I'm not sure if all of you are aware of what a study hall is here, because we fill up our academic schedules quite full here. We would compare it to like a free block. But in America, you have these study halls where they just basically put all the cattle in one room and tell you you're not allowed to talk for an hour. And you're supposed to be doing your homework and studying. What you're really doing is writing notes to the girls and boys in the class uh, and trying to find ways to get away with things and whatnot, while the one monitor for the whole study hall is watching over 200 kids, or however many are there. That was Frank Hall's job. Someone asked him, Frank, why do you do this? Why sit in, in this environment? Why are you the one that has to welcome students when they come in? And this was his response. Every kid there is someone's pride and joy, or wishes they were someone's pride and joy. And it's my responsibility to be that for them. I keep thinking, how would I want my kid to be treated? And then I treat him that way. Frank calls that the code with which he will live by. Frank goes to a Pentecostal church in Ashtabula. I can see it. I know exactly where it is. Who knows? I might drive by it next week when I get to Ohio. But Frank is a man that believes part of following the laws of the land means treating people the way he wants to be treated. And that's how he lives his life. For the people of Israel, God was giving a long series of laws. Have you read Leviticus? There's a lot to remember. But it wasn't done just out of judicial practice. It wasn't done just as the hand of God forcing down saying, you must do this, this, and this, and this, and this, or you're a horrible person. Newsflash. We are horrible people. We are sinners. God gave the law that it might give life because of his great love for us. And so as Moses proceeds... We've got this picture of being reminded of the law that was to give people life found in the love of God. We can't forget that when we look at the Old Testament law, that God loved his people enough to give them standards with which to live by, standards with which to measure their lives by. It wasn't just to be a dictator. It was to say, follow me. And so, as Moses gets started, verse 1, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase. Notice, so that you may live. Follow the law. Obey the Lord that it may go well with you, we're told elsewhere. And then we get to verse 2. And this is, this is key. Because in chapter 8 alone, this phrase, remember... Or be careful. Both of them are repeated throughout the chapter. And as we talk about often, when we look at the study of God's word, when things are repeated, what should you do? Should pay attention. Somebody said it. Now, we should pay attention to all the words of the Lord. But if they're repeated, we know that these hold special significance. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. 
Some people think this is kind of a hard passage. One, if you raise your hand, you've already answered, but how many of us are humble people? Someone raised their hand, and I'm going to leave that alone. It would be too fun. But for the most part, we don't like to admit it, but we probably struggle with humility in one way, shape, or form, don't we? And to know that our God, the God that I just said, you know, he loves us enough to give us these laws with which we can live by and find life in him, he's going to humble us. Usually humbling means things like humiliation, things like admitting we're wrong, things like realizing we could have done better. And that's not always fun to think about. And then even worse, 40 years. Okay, now remember, this 40 years that Moses speaks of, that was called what we call today the wilderness wanderings. Israel chose not to obey God and go into the land when he told them. So for the next 40 years, they walked around in circles. Not because they were lost, but because God was testing them, humbling them. And pointing them back to himself. We don't like to think that God might test us. We like to think that that's not fair. Why would a loving God test me? Just as in last week, why would a holy God allow people, entire generations, entire countries or nations to be wiped out? Because he is holy. Because Sin has consequences in the same way because he loves us, because he is holy. He wants to know where we stand and he gives us an opportunity to demonstrate that. He already knows our hearts. Think about it like this. We say, oh, I don't want to be tested. But how do you know where you stand academically? What's the common matrix we use with which to know where we stand? Tests and exams. I don't like them. Not my thing. I sat at the, uh, the graduation of Christian Alliance International School yesterday, and it was, it was great fun always to celebrate the, with those students uh, that have worked very hard to achieve their degree. And that's, that's a great accomplishment. But how did we know that, that some got between a 90 and a 95 percent, which is amazing to me? Uh, others got uh, other marks, and they did just so well. Well, how do you find that out? You take tests. You take exams. You're tested. Even in relationships with one another, there's all sorts of tests. Now, do not misunderstand me. I am not saying play mind games and manipulations with your friends and spouses. Don't go home and try to trick your wife or your husband and say, I was testing you. <laughs> that will not go well for you or for me. Okay? But in difficult situations, people watch how we respond, don't they? If something goes wrong, how will you react? Will you react in anger and abuse? We see that sometimes. Will you react with love and compassion? Will you ignore the situation completely and hope it goes away? These are all illustrations of people watching how we respond. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a human test if I've ever heard of one. We are constantly being observed. And God loves us enough to give us the opportunity to respond to him. Israel had already sinned. They had already turned their back on God and said, we know better than you. 
And God gave them 40 years to learn, to test what was in their heart and whether or not they would keep his commands. He loves us that much. We don't like to think about the idea that we might be tested. But just like we need to go to the doctor for a heart checkup every once in a while, especially as we get older, I like the idea that my God loves me enough to give me a checkup, to give me opportunities to respond and to check how I'm doing. And sometimes I may not respond appropriately or well. I like that he loves me enough to humble me but that he brings me back to him in the process. God never let go of the people of Israel, did he? They failed test after test after test. If, uh, I believe the highest mark yesterday for the Christian Alliance graduates, you could get a white band, right? Uh, so, so the people of Israel, if the, if the white band, the meaning 96 to 100 is the target, they were getting like a 20 to 25%. They weren't even close. They continually complained. They continually grumbled. They continued said, God, I know better. But God lovingly reproved them, humbled them, tested them. Let them have the opportunity to turn to him in their hearts. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, it's out of the overflow of our heart that the mouth speaks. We can say all the right answers. But as high school graduates quickly learn when they get to university and as university graduates quickly learn when they get into the real world, just knowing the right answer doesn't mean you will succeed. You have to know how to apply it. Testing can be a good thing. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. You realize manna had never existed before this, but God provided for his people. God so loved his people that he provided for them to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That sounds familiar. Anybody else hear that somewhere? Maybe, you know, somebody in the New Testament, Matthew, Matthew chapter, something or other. We'll come back to that. Jesus when he was tempted by Satan, Matthew chapter 4, was said, you're hungry. He's been not, he hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's a hungry guy. And you want to know the way to a man's heart? Often people say the way to a man's heart is through what? His stomach. Satan was, was illustrating this perfectly. He went straight for the human side of Jesus and said, you're hungry. Let's do something about that because your God side could turn this this rock and a good bread and you could eat. And Jesus turns it around and he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the Lord. Wow. Do we get that excited, that nourished, that confident in the law and the word of the Lord? Or do we tend to think we got this covered? We can live with what we provide for ourselves. We can move on and we can do it ourselves as Israel tried time and again. But God brings us back, says, you live in me. You live through me. The law that I am giving you today is so that you might have life. So that the generations after you would have life. 
And sometimes in that we need to be humbled. Jesus knew the right answer and responded perfectly. We don't always. I think of a story that was in the newspaper a long time ago, uh, back in June of 1983, of Mortimer Adler. I don't know if any of you have heard of him, but he just finished his four-year degree at Columbia University, uh, an Ivy League school in the States. And he did it in three years, which is very difficult to do. And he was invited to join a a prestigious academic fraternity of all the smart people. Um, But the thing was, he'd done great in every thing. He'd finished his degree but wasn't allowed to graduate. There was one problem. He flunked swimming. The guy couldn't swim to save his life, literally. And so he couldn't graduate because he could not swim. And at that time in life, if you can't swim, you can't pass the class. A man that is brilliant, obviously, that has all the knowledge in the world, can't meet one requirement and therefore is ineligible to hold that piece of paper that says, I am a graduate of Columbia University. Even though he's smarter than most of the professors that are there. He's not met the standard set before him. Can you imagine knowing you've gotten high marks in everything? You've got the white band. You're ready. There's just one problem. I can't pass PE. He went on, however. Sometimes things can happen and honorary doctorates can be given. And he was able, one way or another, to receive his PhD from Columbia in 1928. He wrote such scholarly works as Six Great Ideas and Aristotle for Everybody, which is, I've actually read some of that, it's quite interesting. And at the time, he was chairman of the editors of the Encyclopedia Britannica and director of the Institute for Philosophical Research in Chicago. Incidentally, after giving him a PhD and much delay and discussion, Columbia eventually awarded the youthful scholar Mortimer Adler a bachelor's degree. Oh, one more thing. He learned to swim. (laughs) You see, the thing about being humbled and the thing about being tested is sometimes we will fall down. What I love about the story of Mortimer Adler is he didn't stay down. He continued to press on the path that he felt he should go. He continued to learn all the way to getting a PhD, something that in my mind is... Well, it's never going to happen for me. I don't like school that much. And those of you that do, well done. I am amazed. But he kept going. While doing so, he humbled himself to learn to swim, to go back and say, can I get my degree? And he kept working. For the people of Israel, the question before them would be when they made the mistake, would their hearts be turned all the way back to the Lord? Or would they keep trying to do it on their own? And what's amazing is in the midst of this ongoing 40-year question, this ongoing 40-year test, a few things happen. Your clothes didn't wear out, and your feet didn't swell during these 40 years. Think about that for a second. This is not Chinese foot binding of ladies. This is not keeping them bound so that as a sign of reverence and and respect, they shrunk their feet. This was God providing. Now, I know in today's culture, I'm not the most well-dressed person in the world, but I know basically you're supposed to wear certain types of clothes in certain seasons, 
And then at the end, you're supposed to get rid of all the old ones and get new stuff, right? We're not a very fascist conscious crowd, I guess. So that's okay. Can you imagine wearing the same outfit for 40 years? And by the way, you're walking around in the wilderness and it's going to be hot. You may not smell very good. And after a while, complacency sets in, doesn't it? You start to get sick of it. This was a pattern for the people of Israel. And how their shoes didn't wear out as their feet grew. Remember, an entire generation was being raised up because the generation before would not be allowed to enter the land of Canaan. Their feet did not swell during these 40 years. In my mind, I do not understand that. I'm not going to try to explain to you exactly what that looked like. But their shoes fit and their clothes survived. Can you imagine me wearing this every Sunday? I don't know if I'll be here for 40 years. I think you might be sick of me by that point. But wearing the same thing every day, not just on Sunday, every day. I think I've mentioned this story before. When I was a kid, uh, in, I was a teenager. I was 16 years old, I believe. And uh, I played tennis a lot. Uh, basically three hours a day, every day of the week, seven days a week. Uh, maybe I wouldn't on Sundays. And I used strings that were made out of Kevlar. You know what Kevlar is? Kevlar is what goes into bulletproof vests. It's very, very strong. Really hurts your arm, but really good for if you break a lot of strings. And so if you think of a tennis racket, you've got the string. Well, the thing about Kevlar is its property means that as it gets older, it will fray like a piece of fabric, like a piece of string. And so it'll kind of come apart. Now, we'd come at a point in in my family life where my parents very much supported my dream of playing college tennis at the time. But it's an expensive sport. And and my, my dad's a pastor. My mom wasn't working at the time. And we just didn't have a lot of money. And I would go through one to two strings per week. And that adds up if you start doing the math of how much it costs to restring a racket. And I was down to my last string and my last thread of that string. If I could describe how small it is, I would, but there's, there's no easy way to do it. And usually when that happened, you had five minutes. Then your strings were done and you broke the string. And I looked at my mom and I said, what do I do? We've got practice. We, I would go an hour for practice every day. Uh, And then we'd come back. And my mom looked at me and she said, Michael, sit down for a minute. Proverbs were coming. (laughs) And she said, do you believe God is who he says he is? I said, sure. I was 16. She said, okay. You know, the Israelites' shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. God can keep that string fresh until we can afford to get a new one. So I went out. I practiced tennis that day. Didn't break a string. It, was, it became a show because everybody was looking at this racket and these strings are supposed to be busted and it's still going on. Then another one popped. And so I was hanging on by two threads on different sections. And then a third one. I practiced four times over the span of two weeks and never once did that string break. I went out and did some lawn work. I raked leaves for my next door neighbor. He paid me $20 cost me $12 to fix the racket to get it restrung. I went out that afternoon with my $20, went to hit a tennis ball. Pop! First string, I, first ball I hit, I popped the string and had the money to restring it. God t- 
taught a very humbling lesson to me at an early age that God provides. I didn't need tennis strings, but they were important to me. And I can stand here 20 years later saying, I will never forget that, of how God provided for me when all I wanted to do was play tennis. And I'll never forget my mom loving me enough to teach me, to test my faith in that moment. And it was so humbling to realize, wow, God, you are who you say you are. But be careful. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord, your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. We can get comfortable. And when we get comfortable, a few things happen. For instance, when we get comfortable coming to church, we tend to sit in the exact same seat. If you went to church in uh, Europe or in North America where they had pews, do you know what a pew is? It's a long bench. Well, in the 40s and 50s, they were nice and they started putting cushions on them, okay? And over time, what would happen is people would go to church every Sunday and in that process, they would sit in the same spot every week. Well, I grew up in a church. I could look at the butt prints on every seat and know who sat where because they sat there every Sunday and we joked that my mom was the leader of that gang. And we would try to mix it up so that she would move, so that she would sit somewhere different. We get stuck in our ruts. We get very comfortable. And I'm looking around, and for the most part, I know where to look, and I'll find you. Now, there are some of you that mix it up, and this has helped this week. But we do. We get comfortable. And in that comfort can be a dangerous thing. Israel was promised a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land that was supplied by rivers where no other area was. This was the greatest land they could possibly imagine. It was all for them. But there was danger involved, not in the land itself, but in their pride. That somehow, in the midst of the great land that God was giving them, they would forget it came from Him. And that they would forget that it's his plan, his provision that didn't make my string break and gave them that great land. And so Moses throughout the chapter says, don't you forget. Because what happens? Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you get all this land is provided, when you build the fine houses and settle down, you get comfortable. And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be proud. You'll think, yeah, look at me. I did it. I'm awesome. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We are just one generational shift away from the people of Israel being slaves. And they are about to enter a land flowing with milk and honey, flowing with all they need, where they can build the biggest houses they know what to do with, and they'll have everything God has promised them finally. They've been waiting for this. They've been looking forward to it. But there's a warning that must be heeded. Don't forget the Lord. 
Because you may say to yourself, verse 17, my power and the strength of my hands have provided this wealth for me. I'm good. I did this. I deserve more. Right? We like saying that. We might not say it out loud, but we think it. But remember, see, I told you this is a repetitive theme. Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Last week I talked right before the offering about what a joy it is to give to the Lord, whether it be of our time, of our financial resources, of energy, of whatever we can give to the Lord. It's a joy. Why? It says anyways. He gave it to us. He gave us the ability to work. He gave us the ability to produce wealth. Some of you are better than that than others. But it's all the Lord's. Everything Israel was about to get was from God. And Moses, speaking for the Lord, wanted to make crystal clear that they didn't forget this. That they instead remembered who God is and celebrated Him at all times. Festivals were set up and instituted so that they remembered things like the Passover. They had the Feast of Weeks they would, the feasts of harvest, they would be constantly reminded to keep the Lord their God in the center of all they did and said. Because God is God and is worthy of our worship, worthy of our celebration, worthy of our praise. I like watching tennis. You, you hear me say that. There's a famous doubles team that uh, when I was younger, they started doing something that they've now done for 10 plus years. And whenever they win a point and get really excited or win a match, they chest bump. You know what that is? I've got a friend here that is great at it with me, but unfortunately he keeps growing and I don't. And so it's, it's been more like a chest throw for him. But what happens is you get two grown men and you run at each other and you jump and you hit chests and you're like, yes, we're men. Okay? When you're excited, that's a manly way to say, yeah. That's awesome. Or in Brett and I's case, it's just to say, hey. But in the case of the Bryan brothers, they do it to say they've won, they've succeeded, they got what they were hoping for out of the outcome. Do we celebrate what God has provided for us with such excitement? Do we celebrate that God is the God who provides in every situation? We might not understand. It might require humbling. It might require us learning from a difficult test. But can we celebrate God? Or do we get caught up in the circumstance that we miss the person? Because all of this centers around, not us, but God. Remember a few weeks ago? It's not about me. Wow, you failed the test. <laughs> it's not about me. It's all about Him. How do I know that? Well, if you look carefully at these verbs I was talking about when we started today... Look at some of the things we're told about my God. My God leads us, verse 2. My God humbles us, verses 2, 3, and 16. My God tests us. That's verses 2 and 16 as well. He feeds. He provides the food. Nothing is done without Him. He feeds. He teaches. Think about that for a second. He loves us enough to teach us. He doesn't just expect us to figure out the right answer. 
as Linda called it, the love letter to God teaches us how to follow Him. His Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and teaches us. Not only that, He clothes His people. The people of Israel were clothed by the hand of God because, I'm sorry, I don't care how good a tailor you are, clothes don't last for 40 years when they're being worn every day. They might still be in style. But He also loves us enough, verse 6, Again, we don't always like this one, to discipline us. In Revelation, we learn that who does God discipline? Those he loves. Why don't we like it? Well, because we don't, again, like that idea of being punished for what we've done wrong. But God disciplines those he loves. He corrects us. He gives us the opportunity to turn back, to repent, and go back to him. If you are a parent, you have to do it with your kids. If we say that God is our Heavenly Father, why wouldn't He discipline us in the same way? In fact, He's way better at it than we probably are with our kids. Because I suspect if you were a parent, there are times when you said, I could have handled that situation differently. When we look to God, He doesn't tell us that. He doesn't say, oh, I was wrong on this one. His discipline is perfect. His reproach is pure and just. And His mercy is found through Jesus Christ. Not only that, He delivers his people. They were in the hands of the Egyptians. They were slaves. And God gave them a new land. We, today, apart from Jesus Christ, are slaves as well. You wonder what that means? Read Romans. We are slaves to sin. We're slaves to making the wrong choice, to choosing ourselves over the life-giving law and love of the Lord. But God offers a way for us to be delivered, and it's through His Son. He gives generously. The greatest land was the land God gave to His people. Him. Israel didn't earn it. In fact, they did everything they could to unearn it. They didn't deserve it, nor do we deserve the grace, the love that comes from God. But He gives generously because God is love, it's His very nature as is his justice. And he equips. He doesn't give us more than we can handle. He teaches us what to do and how to do it. And he gives us the tools we need to succeed following the life and the plan he has for us. You wonder what I mean? Well, that's in verse 18. Look, this is what he says. Wrong page. But remember the Lord your God, again, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. The ability is from him. It's not from you. You didn't wake up one day and decide to be really good at art when you've never been able to draw in your life. Can't do it. I can draw a mean stick figure, but beyond, I turn to others. Nor can I play musical instruments very well, but I'm really good with the radio. It is God who equips us. It is God who teaches us. It is God who gives. Notice where all of this attention is focused. On Him. It is He who provides the way of life. Which is why when you come back, you realize it's not about me. It's all about Him. I told you earlier about this guy, Frank Hall. Well, what I didn't tell you is the rest of the story. 
You see, in February of 2012, another man walked into the school, a teenage boy that went to another school named T.J. Cole. T.J. Cole walked into school with a semi-automatic 22 caliber rifle, and he opened fire. He shot immediately three kids, and then he started looking for others. Frank Hall, as you see, is not a small man. Frank Hall had a choice, as did everyone in the study hall where T.J. opened fire. Everyone ran for cover, which was the wise decision. Frank knew in his heart of hearts something had to be done. So Frank chased T.J. He chased him into the hallway to get him away from the students, and he kept chasing T.J. At one point, a teacher got in the way and slowed Frank down, and it was in the hallway... TJ turns around, looks at Frank, and the gun is aimed straight at his head. And then for whatever reason, TJ kept running. Frank's actions likely, according to TJ himself, saved many lives. He was there to kill. That was his only objective, was to destroy life. So somebody asked TJ later on, why'd you run out of the school? And the words were amazing. Coach Hall was chasing me. You see, everybody knew Coach Hall. Everybody knew the man he is. Not just that he's a big giant, but if he says something that's corrective, you should do it. TJ knew he was wrong, and so he ran away from the law, which in this situation was Coach Hall. And Frank was able to be a part of saving lives that day. For us, we will come in contact often with difficult situations. I pray none of us ever face a killer in the scheme of that. Three people died, others were injured that day. But it could have been so much worse. But Frank decided to do the one thing he knew in the code he had lived by. He tried to treat the school and everybody in it the way he wished someone would treat him, as a protector, as one that loved individuals, that loved humanity enough to sacrifice himself for them, no matter what the cost. Thankfully, Frank did not get shot and is alive and well and is the head football coach at Lakeside High School in Ashtabula, Ohio, his hometown. I'd love to go shake his hand today, but I don't know him. But in the same way, God, who gave us his love, his law, invites us into a life that can be had because his son came into this world, gave up his life, looked at the head of the gun, our sin, and said, I will take that bullet. No amount of Kevlar can protect I will bear the sins of mankind. I know that sin causes death. You want to get what that means? If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will be destroyed. Sin is no laughing matter. A teenager walking through the halls of a public school with a gun in his hand is no laughing matter. Nor is sin for us. 
because sin leads to death. But God, in his infinite goodness and love and justice, he is so just, he provided a way for us to be forgiven. He provided us a way to be set free, to have the life. He fulfilled that law in the person of Jesus Christ because of his great love. It is an invitation to live in relationship with him. Don't forget the Lord. Don't forget the law that we are to live by. Jesus, toward the end of his ministry, was asked by a lawyer. They were trying to trap him. Which is the greatest of the laws? And he said, well... And I I summarize here. He went back to the Shema. And he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he didn't stop there. Then he added from Exodus, And love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law is summed up in this. Let's pray. Lord, you gave us your son. You gave us the fulfillment of your great law that we might have life, that we might know true love in a mixed up world, and that we might offer that love to others. Lord, may we be a people that are obedient to you every moment of our lives, our hearts oriented straight to you because it's not about us. It's all about you. In your name I pray.